Again, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, and I really want to encourage that, uh, open it to Luke chapter 20, and again, you can get an app for that on your phone, or you can get one of these lovely printed versions and have it open with you. I know it's almost like a thing of the past. You know, pastors say this all the time, I say it all the time, open your Bibles, please, and people look at me and go, mm-hmm, keep going, right? But the good thing about that, and the part of it is, is that I've learned this for years for myself, that if I have it open, if I have it there, even when the preacher's you know, talking, uh, you, you can be, you're often led by the Holy Spirit to go back in the context of the previous verses or forward and so forth. So I really want to encourage that. I'm going to begin reading our text for today. It's found in verses 27 to 40, another interesting interaction between Jesus and another group of religious dudes in Jerusalem during the last week of his earthly life. This is approximately, well, before the crucifixion, this is approximately two days. This is Wednesday, and on Friday, Good Friday, he will be crucified, and yet there's a question. And so let's read the text today. There came to him some Sadducees who uh, deny that there is a resurrection, and they asked him a question saying, teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. (laughs) The first took a wife and died without children, and the second and the third took her, and likewise all seven had no children and died. Afterward, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as a wife. And Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age And to the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot die anymore, because they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons and daughters of the resurrection. Then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dared to ask him any question. Let's pray again. Uh, Gracious Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you again for this, this time together here this morning. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you, for, uh, thank you for your response. Thank you for your constant patience, <laughs> not just with these men in that day, with people in that day, but also with us today. I thank you so much for that, for your patience with me. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would uh, speak to us this morning. This is, uh, this is an important question. It's, it's more important what Jesus has to say and, and what we can learn from it for us today, even though this uh, event took place 2,000 years ago. So, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to us through this text and through the words that you've given to me, and I pray this in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. Actually, if you don't mind, I'm going to also pray for uh, a friend of ours, CJ, who was here this morning, standing right here, (laughs) and she was singing back up and, and singing with the worship team, and she had to go to the hospital. She's in such, such horrible pain with her back been going on for a long time, but she literally was in tears and had to go to the hospital. So she's there now. So can we pray for CJ? I think we should pray for her right now. Let's pray. Father, once again, uh, we come to you. And uh, Father, um, I come to you, we come to you because we believe with all our hearts you hear us. You hear our prayers. So Lord, right now you know where CJ is. You know the pain that she's in. Father, we pray that you would touch her body. We pray that you would comfort her. We pray that you would physically heal her. (laughs) We ask for a miracle. We know that you can do these things. 
But more than anything, Lord, we pray that uh, you would just ease the pain, that you would back it off so that she can be more comfortable. And Lord, we pray that the doctors today and the nurses, as they look into what's causing this, that she will get some answers, that she will be healed. And uh, yeah, Lord, so we just pray for her. We love her. We pray that you would just protect her in this time. And I pray these things again in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Your message title for today is The Reality of the Resurrection. It's a reality. Three things I want to show you from this really amazing text. Number one, the resurrection mocked. I don't know if you picked that up or heard that in the way these uh, men asked this question. Then, secondly, the resurrection viewed, or at least a sneak peek at the resurrection. And finally, the resurrection proved, and of course, by Jesus. Uh, about a week and a half ago, I think it was, I, I, I saw this really amazing video clip of a good buddy of mine, a uh, pastor in the Lower Mainland. Uh, his name is Mark Clark. He's a pastor at the Village Church in Surrey Langley. And uh, he was doing a bit of a riff on a video. It was kind of cool the way that he's been doing a few of these, where they'll take a video from some people who are basically skeptics or critics of Christianity, and uh, in the midst of them saying whatever they're going to say, it'll cut to Mark, and Mark will go, Okay, let me, let me tell you what's really going on here, right? And this was a good one. I, I, I saw it, and it was, uh, I think, about 10 days ago. Uh, I'm, I've asked uh, uh, our Connect team, actually, to post it online after the message today, so don't go looking for it, okay? Uh, wait, it'll be posted in case you want to watch it, because I would recommend it. It was quite good. But it was between uh, the very popular podcast host, Joe Rogan, and uh, his interview with Richard Dawkins, the famous or infamous, depending on your point of view, uh, 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 atheist and apparently a scientist, uh, what, I, what I found amusing was is that, of course, they were just making these... It's, he's a scientist, but he's also an atheist, and so he's on Joe Rogan's show, who's an atheist, and they're just having fun, making fun of Jesus and Christianity, right? And so he, they're asking these questions, and Joe was asking a few questions, and one of them was, the, at the very beginning was, was Jesus a real person? Now, I've always wondered, you know, Mark did a really good riff on that, so you might want to see that. But I always wonder, like, why do people ask someone a question like that who really is not an expert? That's one thing I'd like to know. It's like, I got a problem with my Volvo. Why would I ask someone who's into permaculture gardening? I don't know. It just doesn't fit. But anyway, so he's asked him this, and Dawkins, he actually admits, he goes, well, you know, some scholars, uh, you know, some scholars think he really did exist. But quite frankly, I think the evidence is rather weak, so no. Off the mark, and Mark goes on giving all kinds of historical evidence, not only from the Bible, but also from Jewish historians and Roman historians who record that there was this guy, Jesus, who was crucified and whose believers believed that he rose again and saw him from the dead. And that, of course, is the highlight for our, our, our passage today is the resurrection. And when asked about the resurrection, of course, Rogan asks Richard Dawkins about the resurrection, uh, it didn't take Dawkins long to respond. I mean, he basically said, you know, like things like miracles, like, you know, the virgin birth and walking on water and, and resurrection from the dead. And Dawkins very quickly said, of course, that did not happen. Of course it didn't happen. <laughs> it was a pretty good riff that Mark goes on after that, and I'll again leave that for you to check out. But I just want to say that in preface to today, nothing's changed since Today, since the days of Christ. In fact, these men, these Sadducees who we're reading about today, that's them. They were the materialists, not quite atheists. They believed in God, yet they're Jewish, but for some reason, they didn't believe in the resurrection. And this was their pet. This was their pet theological position. 
that they stuck to that they did not believe in the resurrection from the dead, which is interesting you think about it. So the question is, really, most importantly here today is, what do you believe? What do you believe? What do I believe about this? I mean, clearly, clearly, we all know the science, right? We know the science. You die. You physically stop breathing, your heart stops beating, and your body goes into the ground or you're cremated, and no one ever sees you again on planet Earth. I'm sorry if that's news, but right? That's the science. We all know that. So honestly then, if that's true, and it is, why do people still say things like, well, they're in a better place now, right? Or RIP, you know, rest in peace. Or assume that their loved ones are in a place called heaven. Despite the fact that people don't really believe it, don't really believe in the resurrection. So the question of life after death, I think, I think, is one of the most important questions of all time. It's, it's, I don't suggest that you should worry about it, especially after today, because you can believe and trust in Jesus, and you don't have to worry about it anymore. But it might keep some people up at night. However, the naturalist, the uh, materialist today would say, look around, this is it. And on that basis, carpe diem, seize the day, right? Uh, for tomorrow we die, and that, friends, is the end of the story. That's what a number of people actually believe. And I want to suggest to you that if you believe that, then what you're going to do is you're going to order your life accordingly. If that is your worldview, you're going to order your life accordingly. And, and you're going to live your life according to that worldview. So honestly, I, I really honestly mean this. I wish you well. I wish you well, but from my experience observing people who believe that worldview for a long time um, and buy into that uh, worldview, what I've seen is this. They're, they're merely running from one idol, uh, from one new experience or a set of experiences, um, uh, seeking some form of spirituality uh, from one to the next, constantly seeking wellness, seeking balance, seeking uh, ultimately peace and hope, and frankly, in the end, finding nothing. Finding that the materialist, naturalist view is hopeless in the end. I found it interesting that Rudy pointed out that he had heard that verse and spoke about that actually this morning as he was leading in worship. We, we hadn't talked about this. He, he didn't know I was going to be speaking about this in this particular way. So lastly, what I see also is, sadly, a, a lot of people as they get older become grumpy old men and grumpy old women like Mr. Dawkins. I don't mean to pick on him, but you, know, you would think he would have something better to do with his time than to go around having to prove his point that there's no God. You know, like just be happy with your lifestyle and, and show how wonderful your lifestyle is and be done with it. But no, for some reason, people who buy into that worldview become, quite frankly, bitter and very, very critical. So listen, as we go to our text today and unpack it, this is why Jesus came. This is the primary reason why Jesus came to earth. To provide us, provide you and I here today and everyone in this world a way back to life with our Creator God 
and the life that He intended us all to have from the beginning, a life that would result in perfect communion with our God and Creator and a perfect eternal hope to the point where we know where we're going. That doesn't make it all the time that much easier in the sense that, well, you know, if I get ill or I, 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 I develop a disease, there's still some concern, obviously, about that day that we're all facing. But when you have that hope, it's, it changes things very, very much. So that way, of course, that way would require Jesus to go through with what he's going through over the next few days, wouldn't it? It, it would require Jesus to allow the people in Jerusalem, both the Jewish people and the Roman people, all to, in a chorus together, yell out, crucify him, crucify him. And it it would require him to be nailed to a Roman cross, for his blood to be shed for you and I, for him to die physically, and for him to be buried in the ground. It would require that, so that, as God, he could rise from the dead victorious over sin, over death, over evil, and based on faith in Him, He could give that eternal life, that resurrected life to you, to me, to anyone who would believe in Him. So clearly, it's a matter of life and death, right? It is a matter of that. So last week, it was the scribes and the chief priests who had their question for Jesus. And before that, it was the Pharisees who had their question for Jesus. He's answered them all. And as we'll see in our conclusion today, he's also silenced them all. And so today, it's the Sadducees' terms, uh, turn to, to ask Jesus their question. So this brings us to point number one, the resurrection mocked. And we'll put the verses on screen as I read them for you. And then we'll have a look at what this all means. So there came to him some Sadducees those who deny that there is a resurrection. And they asked him a question saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. So the truth be told, I did did as much research as I could on this. uh, And the truth be told is we don't have a lot of historical information about the Sadducees other than they were a group of religious uh, men primarily, but also women. Uh, But they were men who were in the leadership roles in Israel at that time. Um, They were, of course, opposed to the Pharisees and the scribes' views of certain things, particularly the resurrection. Uh, They were generally, uh, at least what I've read is written about them, they were generally wealthy, uh, they were generally well-educated, and quite frankly, they thought they were smarter than everybody else in the room. This is something that was known about them, and it was because they actually had the authorized version. Some of you might know, like not the King James Version, but they had the authorized version. What that meant to them was is they had the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch or the Torah, and, and that was it. They didn't, they didn't hold to any of the other teachings in the Bible. They thought the Torah, those five books were it. And they were experts, apparently, on those five books. And we also know, as I've mentioned, that their main opponents were the Pharisees who did certainly believe in the resurrection. So you would have seen in the text uh, when it was on screen or in your Bibles that uh, they say to Jesus, well, Moses wrote, right? So Moses had given a, a custom, a tradition to the people of Israel. Uh, before the law, which is interesting, the law of God, 
And it was, it was basically this premise. It was, if, if, as they say in the text, if, if a, a woman is married to one of your brothers and, and he dies and they have had no children, then it's uh, your responsibility to marry the, her, if you're single, and, and bear a child with her. And so Moses had actually written that, and, and they would have known that. It was called Leverite marriage, and it forms the background of the book of Ruth. If you read the book of Ruth about Ruth and Boaz, uh, the kinsman redeemer, it, it, it's the backdrop. It's Leverite marriage is what that whole story really tells us about. So it, it was a legit thing. And it was, it was given to the people of Israel for basically two reasons. One was to continue the family name right? To, to continue the name of that family uh, for generations and generations, but also to preserve the wealth of that family. Because in those days, most of the wealth was in the livestock and the land. And so th that was important to keep it within the family. And so that's why this was given. Now, their favorite arena for debate was exactly where they were on this day. They love this kind of situation. They love being in a place where there were a lot of people around, particularly their foes, the Pharisees and the scribes and the chief priests, anyone for that matter, where they could basically show how smart and, and, and brilliant they were with their lovely little vignettes and their pithy little stories, like the one they give to Jesus and we read about here. And it goes on in verses 29 to 33 to say this. And this is their, their little story that they give to Jesus, their analogy or uh, their explanation that's supposed to prove that there is no resurrection. Now, there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children. So there you go. Love, right, marriage, kick in, right? And the second and the third took her. And likewise, all seven left no children and died. Afterward, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as his wife. It's very important, a couple of points that we need to see here just, it may not seem obvious, but they're there. And, and the first one is this. They've been at this debate and this position for a long time. They, they didn't make this up today. They didn't go, ah, oh, Jesus is pretty smart. You know, he's foiled the Pharisees and the scribes and the chief priests. We got to come up with something really good here. That's not what happened. They had been honing this one. <laughs> they had been preaching this one for some time. And, so, and, and uh, they've been pretty happy with it because it apparently has always worked. And so they're thinking, this has got to be good, and, and Jesus is going to be foiled by this, so let's, let's propose it to him. And so they've honed it. They're pretty smug, I think, if you read into it, and likely giving each other, I think, at the end of putting it out to Jesus and leaving, it's almost like a mic drop, boom, you know, high five, guys, let's see what he does, right? Okay, I'm making that up, but just trying to set a little bit of a stage here so that we see what Jesus does. So I think their riddle does two things, for sure, tells us a couple things about them. Uh, the first is pretty clear. They don't believe in the resurrection. That we know, but, but that's established in the way that they go about this. But secondly, it's, it's interestingly, I think, I think it kind of shows their contempt for it. Now, th this is a teaching of the Bible. This was understood to be what would happen. As a result of the fall, there was death. And there would need to be atonement for sin. And there would be a, a new life and a life after death. And so this is a, a, a very important doctrine. So they're being, I think, a rather smug. They're making light and fun of the doctrine of the resurrection. 
And so there is something, I think you can almost imagine they're, they're saying something, this is, this is funny, right, to each other. It's pretty funny what we did. It's a funny story, I know. But, you know, it's, it's about levirate marriage. And so who's going to be her husband in heaven? Ha, 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 ha. It's like one big giggle fest for these guys. I think there's a really great lesson that we should take from Jesus here, and it is this. As we've already seen into this day, um, there are those who deny many key doctrines of the faith, even to this day. Amen? Have you been in the church very long? There are people today who deny even the resurrection from the dead, the resurrection that the Bible teaches. And, and so I, I want to suggest to you, I've been using the word doctrine and, and, and the words sound doctrine and it, because this is a doctrine of the Christian faith. And what I want us to see here today is this is very important to Jesus. <laughs> Not only because he's going to accomplish it, but it's important to Jesus that we actually know our doctrine. And so sometimes you're going to, I think, even today, I have, I don't know about you, but you're going to run into some people. Uh, they could even be members of your local church. I'm not suggesting anybody or any of you for sure here today or any of you watching online who's pretty smart, who's, who's very articulate, and who likes to argue about some of the key beliefs that we have in the church, that the Bible teaches, and, and uh, even maybe even the resurrection. Well, I, I haven't heard much of that really in the local church for a while, but lots of other things that are questioned, right? And, 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 and yet, sometimes some of us can be in that conversation with people, and, and uh, we, we can be thinking to ourselves, you know, as they go on about their, their, their explanation of why that's not true, or really you should see it this way, um, you know, people uh, who were alive in that day didn't actually see it that way. That didn't really mean that. On and on they might go. There's at some point where most of us will go, you know what? I think they're wrong. <laughs> I, I think they're absolutely, like, completely wrong. But I think I know many of you, and I, I, I've been this way myself. I think sometimes many of us uh, are not comfortable saying that to their face, are we? Like, You're wrong, and let me show you why and how. Jesus wasn't. He wasn't. And he wasn't on this day either, by the way. We don't see it in our text here, but in Matthew's account, every one of the Gospels, by the way, records this story. That means it's an important story, right? And, and in Matthew's account of this story, it's virtually the same, but he adds one thing. And it, it tells us that Jesus not only knows his Bible, but he cares for the truth of the Word of God, which is sound doctrine. And he actually says this, and it'll be on screen, to the Sadducees, you are wrong. Okay. There's lots of people there on this day. We've already seen that. This is near the temple area where Jesus is teaching. People are there for Passover week. There could be hundreds, if not thousands of people there hearing this. And he's pointing at these guys in front of everybody. And he's going, you're wrong. And then look what he says, because you don't know your Bibles. You don't know the scripture. Wow. That's a pretty serious charge in that place and on that day nor do you know the power of God. And so look, people can be wrong about the Bible, about song, sound doctrine. Most of us have been. I have been in the past. I may be even wrong today from time to time. And if I am, the elders need to come to me and, and hold me up. Sometimes in missional community groups, people will go, excuse me, did I hear you right when you said that? We need to be corrected. We do. And we need to admit, quite frankly, when and if we are wrong. 
So the, the resurrection, I'm leaning on this because it's so important, is sound doctrine. And listen, it must be believed to be saved. We need to believe this in order to be saved. I have heard people say in the past, you know, I don't know, do you really need to believe in the virgin birth? Do you really need to believe that Jesus walked on water and that he rose from the dead to be a Christian? Well, let me put it this way. Gandhi loved the Sermon on the Mount, built his whole uh, philosophy of nonviolence on the Sermon on the Mount, and he loved Jesus, but not this Jesus, because he didn't believe any of these things either. And so that's the point. To say any of those things are not true is to believe in a different Jesus. It's not this Jesus, because <laughs> this Jesus was born of a virgin. He did perform all those miracles, and he rose from the dead. And so when we encounter false teaching, we must respond, yes, lovingly. That's wrong. You are wrong to think that, but please let me explain. Please let me try to instruct you. And that's what Jesus is now going to do, which is awesome, but he's been very direct. So it's so good. This is point number two now, the resurrection viewed. We're going to get a little bit of a sneak peek at what the resurrection looks like. And Jesus said to them, he responds, look at his response. The sons of this age marry and are given a marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot die anymore, because they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. This is, this is all good stuff. Again, we, sometimes I say this probably every week. We could spend a lot of time just here, because there's some real meaty good things here. First, Jesus says, by the way, you're not only wrong about the resurrection, you're wrong about marriage. <laughs> you haven't even got that figured out and got that right. You see, of course, the words here which I've highlighted, or were on screen and highlighted, this age and that age. It, it's, it's, he's comparing the, the here and now, like in that day and today, quite frankly, this present age where marriage is what God has instituted for men and women, with the next age, the resurrection age, where there will be no marriage. Since that is true, their question about whose husband she is, quite frankly, then, obviously, is what? It's moot. <laughs> so that's pretty clever of Jesus, right? It's pretty clever. He's made a point now about marriage, and he's going to explain it further. But he also describes what it will take, look, to attain to the resurrection. To even get into heaven when, uh, when he says, those who are considered worthy to attain... Those words should have clued them in a little bit, actually. Again, it should have pointed them to their Torah, to their five books, and where they would have read that Abraham, it was God had accounted it to, him, to him to be righteous. God had accounted righteousness to him. So, so, so even the language, the phrasing should have perked their ears. And so the question is, who's worthy of heaven, <laughs> right? Again, it's, it's wishful thinking sometimes to say, you know, like, my aunt or my mom or my dad, and, you know, without clear evidence that they trusted Christ as their Savior to say, well, they're in a better place now, or they're in heaven now. That would be the hope. But it's very important who is worthy to be there is the question. Well, the truth is there's only one person who's ever lived on this planet who was worthy based on their own life. Jesus, because he was sinless. He was perfect, even, even to the point where he was crucified. 
even there on the cross. He remained perfect. So now the question is, um, we also read from this though that yes, that would be true about Jesus, but according to this, there are going to be others who are going to be accounted righteous. So how, at the end of the day, do you and I become considered worthy? This is the important question. Since we know there is none righteous besides Jesus, that none are righteous but sinners before God, how do you and I get considered to be worthy, counted worthy, attained to God? And again, Rudy alluded to this to this morning in, in his prayer time and in the word that he gave, and, and it's, it's not by works. I, I was raised Catholic. I was raised in a church and a religion, and I'm not trying to knock all Catholics, please hear me, but I was raised in a church where it was about, A, being Catholic, I mean, my, my cousin, when I left the Catholic Church to become a born-again Christian in the Protestant Church, he was worried for my soul because I was leaving the Catholic Church. But it's a church of works, a religion of works. It's about how I can work my way up to the approval and acceptance of God. That, by the way, is what every religion, every philosophy on the planet teaches. Christianity is the only one that teaches the absolute opposite. And that is there is no way. And this is good news, by the way which is why it's called the gospel. There's no way for you and I to do that. We cannot do that. But the good news is, is that God came down to us. And Jesus did it for us. So how do we attain to the worthiness that gets us to heaven? It's by grace, which is unmerited favor. It's by grace alone. It's by faith alone in Jesus Christ, in the work that he has done on our behalf. So that's an important first point that we learn here from this text. But there's another. It's a lesson about heaven, which is interesting. The, the truth is, we don't learn a lot about heaven in the Bible. Randy Alcorn, if you know the author, he wrote a book called Heaven. It's probably the best book that I've read on the subject. He goes into it. It's a pretty thick book, but he, he gives us the best evidence from the Bible, from the Bible, about what it might look like. But there's not, quite frankly, a lot about heaven Except we do see something here in this text today that actually teaches us a great deal. And you see it again in those words, this age and that age, and this is what it shows us. Some people probably are here, when you think about it, and they read that text, there's some people, maybe none of you here, okay? I'm going to say none of you here, hopefully none of you watching, but some of you people, some people might say, you know, I've had, I've had enough of marriage in this life, okay? <laughs> like, it, it, it didn't work out for me, or, you know, I love her, but trust me, eternity, I, on my own, that sounds awesome. I think for the vast majority of people who have been married and obviously been in a good marriage, that might make you feel a little sad, right? <laughs> it makes me feel a little bit sad because I've been with my wife for 44 years. Um, and, and so it, it's a little bit like, well, she's my best friend. Well, there's good news. The good news is, and of course, if your best friend is also in the Lord, um, you will be best friends for eternity. You will be. But also we know this from Scripture. Mar marriage serves a few purposes in this age, in this life. Uh, there's an old-time uh, uh, commentator. His name is Matthew Henry. I, I've got him in my notes as the resurrected commentator. And why do I say that? Well, because I believe he's with Jesus, right? But he wrote this in his commentary about this actual passage, about marriage. He said, marriage in this age serves the purpose of death. Now, again, you could take that the wrong way if you wanted to, uh, or if you're not thinking right. But here's what he means, basically. First of all, the Bible teaches us that marriage is to be a reflection of the relationship between the church 
and our eventual husband who is Jesus. And Jesus is the man who loves his church, sacrifices for his church like no other man. And so it's, it's supposed to be a picture and a reflection of that. It's also, uh, we marry, based on the scripture, to reflect that relationship, but also to reflect the kind of relationship that God wants for us. And so it's about avoiding casual sex, but instead enjoying exclusive sex with your partner, with your husband or with your wife. It's also given to us to multiply, to, to bear children, which then, listen, fills the hole of death that Matthew Henry was getting at. But you also see that in the text that Jesus gave them and was speaking to them. So it serves the purposes of that. So now here's what Jesus tells us about that age. What he tells us is this. In heaven, there's no longer death. Is that good news? It's called eternity. Death has been expunged. There is no longer death. There's no sin or pain or suffering. And therefore, in that age, as we know it, in this age, marriage serves no purpose. It has no purpose. But there is, again, as I've suggested, oh yes, there is marriage. We all, men and women, will look to our husband, our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And that marriage, that relationship is the primary relationship that we will be in for all of history. He also adds that we will be like angels, which doesn't mean that we're going to be, you know, on little clouds with wings. No, it doesn't mean that. It's because they are perfect beings and they're eternal beings. So that kind of makes, at the end of the day, their riddle look kind of silly, doesn't it? He's given a bit of a view, a picture, a snippet of what marriage is going to look like. Well, there isn't going to be marriage in, in, in the resurrection, but also what it's going to look like then. And so point number three, now he deals with the proof. And this is the resurrection proved. In verses 37 and 38, it says this. Jesus goes on to say, but that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush. So, so Jesus is pointing to their books. There are five books. But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush, where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now he is not God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. And so um, with these words, Jesus proves that he knows his Bible. Of course he does. This, this is the word of God. Everything, not just the words that Jesus spoke, but he is the inspiration behind these words. He is the word of God, literally all of the words. And so, of course, he knows his Bible. These men believed everything that was important that you needed to know about faith and life and truth was in those five books of the Torah. And so, listen, this is the funny part, kind of. They only had to be experts on five books. <laughs> We've got 66 that we study and we go through now, we don't have to be experts, but we, we should know what they say. And so, essentially, Jesus says, guys, how could you miss this? In one of your five books, in Exodus, and these are the words that you would find in Exodus chapter 3, verse 6, where it says, right there in their own Bibles, Jesus shows it to them, where it says, I am. This is the present perfect tense. This is not I was, Right? I am the God of your father, the, father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. So, listen, at this point, when God says these words to Moses, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have been dead 
for a while. Where are they? They're with God. They're in His presence. And that's what He's declaring right there in their own books. And so it's so obvious, it's so clear, but remember, they neither knew their Scriptures nor the power of God. So friends, sadly, and and what is also true today, is that they rejected the Word. They actually rejected the Word of God. And of course, they denied the resurrection. That's That's a big miss, isn't it? That's a big miss. So one more thing I think we need to learn here, we see here. You remember that I suggested this argument or riddle they used was obviously something that they'd used before to confound the Pharisees, the scribes, and the chief priests. Obviously, the Pharisees, the scribes, and the chief priests didn't know their Bibles any better because they had not refuted it with what Jesus simply pulled from Exodus right there, right in front of them. And so I asked the question, why hadn't any of them seen what God said to Moses? Well, the truth is, they did not know their Bibles. They, they also had become a religion of works. It was all about show. It was all about look at me. It was all about my oratory skills and how smart I appear to be. But it wasn't about how well I know the Word of God. So the passage concludes with these words. Then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well. For they no longer dared to ask him any question. I have to believe that on that day, Jesus did not take that as a compliment. You notice it says, some of the scribes. And, and the, these are the other guys who didn't know their Bibles very well. Are they really complimenting Jesus or are they just glad that he showed up their foes? I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of skeptical <laughs> at this point. But here's the other thing that I see here. Um, these scribes, the Pharisees, the chief priests, they all had their questions. They had their questions. Some of them were intended to trap Jesus so that they could have him crucified and done away with. Some of them were just to show off how smart they were, but they had legitimate questions. Many of these were good questions to have. We should have these questions. I find what's really, really beautiful about it is this. It, it isn't, I mean, it, Jesus is five, two days away from being dead on the cross, five days from resurrecting from the dead. And I mean, listen, he could have on that day just said, guys, I'm not going to answer your question. <laughs> Stick around for five days. I'll show you what resurrection looks like. It's kind of a smart aleck response, wouldn't it have been? That's not what he does. It's not what he does in the heart of a ridiculous question. And, and a heart that's behind the question. It's not a good heart. No, instead Jesus... Here's their question, and with loving patience, he shows them the truth. Where? From the Bible, from the Word of God. What's also interesting is, you remember how last week ended? Last week's passage ended in verse 26 with these words, and they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said, but marveling at his answers, they became silent. This has just been the pattern, and it's the last week of his earthly life before being crucified. And again, I just, I I, I marvel at that. I marvel at his patience. I marvel at his love for them. And so here's the good news I want to leave you with today. We all have our questions. Questions are good. A questioning spirit, a questioning heart is something else. But legitimate questions are good. We all have our questions. We all need answers to the life's biggest questions. 
We need, we need answers for, for questions about life after death, yes, about sickness and disease, about the whys of those kind of things. We need, we need answers about relationships, about marriage. We need re- answers about work, about money, about politics. Amen. We need answers, don't we? Anybody need answers? We need answers. Let me encourage you with this. They're all right here. Everything you need to know for faith and for life, the answers to these things are here, right here. And again, I think it was earlier, Rudy alluded to the fact that, but where do we go? Well, we go to Amazon or we go to Chapters, a bookstore, and we go to the self-help section, right? And we look for answers, not only in books and in gurus and those kind of things, but, but it, from friends even, but, but also we, we, we look at other religions and other ways of life and we look for answers and answers. And ones that comfort us or makes us feel good for a while, I want to encourage you, everyone here today, I want to encourage you to go to the one who said these words in John 14, 6. I am. It's critically important that we see Jesus saying, I am. Jewish people knew this. You don't say that unless you are God. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I want to encourage you again today, go to Jesus for your questions, because listen, he has the perfect answer every time. And let me also encourage you with this, everyone you meet who's looking for answers, be brave, be brave. Point them to Jesus. Take them to Jesus. Take them to the Word of God. Pray with me, would you?